Yeah. Yeah, what do you want? Beak or jaws? Feathers or fur? Sharp teeth or feet with claws? Whatever's preferred. They'll grant you all last requests to steady your nerves. Then podcast the body parts get severed and served. Bring your weak shit where the wolf and owler. That ain't just a mistake, that's an awful howler. Both of them are known to pull up at your shows. Have the crowd witnessing the murder like they rolled in with a gang of crows. Fuck their censorship, let them see the whole thing. They stay dressed to kill, never sheep's clothing. Dark enough to turn the sun to the moon, you'll see nothing. All you hear is a huff a puff. Of. Expect killings, red spilling and flesh ripping Impressive in it, the death bringing his head spinning Just kidding, every word in this song's about two grown men Dressed up as a bird and a dog Welcome to the Wolf and Owl bonus episode uh, I'll be honest with you, we thought we weren't going to do a bonus episode but then It's a lovely turn of events the, that we get to do one today the, Very sweet The light of destiny shone upon us And now we are here doing this bonus episode And it gives me a great opportunity to say Now, the, the sequence of events that's led to what I'm about to talk about I'm not massively happy with So, if you've listened to the last episode you know that Tom was talking about water polo and we talked about which of those words is more useful. And then we started talking about whether, if you said to somebody you're going water, if they'd know what you're talking about. And then Tom said, I'm going to test it now. Uh, and so he went off to record with Jamie Redknapp. And he said he was going to do a test. And then basically he did it so quickly that our editor, James, dropped it in straight into the podcast. Uh, and I, I believe the clip ends with you saying something like, Romish, you're a fucking idiot. I win again. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I got so um, excited. I got hyped up. I was like, it's Yeah, it. you got hyped up. But 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 let's let, let's just break down what I think you did. Because at the moment, you're sitting on what I believe, you, what you believe to be a victory. You think you've been vindicated. Massive, or whatever. massive victory. But I, One I of my biggest. Explore some of the facts. Yeah, go on, go on. I just want to explore some of the facts here. The floor First is yours, Romish. The floor is yours, the owl. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. First of all, you said, I'm going to go undercover, right? I'm going to wear a wire, you said, something like that, right. right? Then the clip starts with you going, here I'm with Jamie Redknapp. Now, you've not been prepped, have you? So that's all out the window, straight away, right? You've announced to him what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, our conversation was this. You said to me, if I said, I'm going water, you'd know what, would you know what I was talking about? I said, no. And you went, right, we'll see about that. I'll find out what's going on because I'll do this experiment. Then what you said to Jamie was... Right, Jamie, you've not been prompted for this, have you? And he's like, no, I've not been prompted. And then you go, I'm going to go in the water later on this afternoon. What activity do you think I'd be doing? H- how is that the same as what I'm talk- as what we were talking about? It's absolutely nothing like what we yeah, discussed. Yeah, but look, number one, if you say, I didn't have say, a wire on me. Something- I didn't have a wire on me. Like, and I felt guilty. Just put, your, put the... Put the fucking phone in your pocket. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't do work it, when right? you do that. I did that to try and record a gig once, and it didn't work. Well, it didn't work this time because you fucked Mate, it. okay, look. I think that, Jamie knew what I was talking about. I think there was a slight Freudian slip on my point. I got very excited at that point. It wasn't, it wasn't a Freudian slip, Tom. It was a willful leading of Jamie into the, right. into the answer that you wanted. So here, here's where I sit with it. I think we need to look at maybe getting 20 different people to email in, right, and see where they sit. Lisa is the fairest person I know in England. She will sit as a referee across this, okay? So 20 different people have to email in and say what they think. Who's right? And say what? Who's right and who's wrong? Okay, fine. Email in, wolfalpod at gmail.com. Let us know Because at what the moment, think I, think it's, I think it's probably swaying 
it was so in your favour at one point, and it swayed way back into mine, and now it's sort of probably about there. Yeah, the fact that you think it's in the middle means that you definitely think I'm right. That's what I know about. <laughs> no, I don't definitely. If you, what, what, what I would say is, if you say to somebody, I'm going in the water, what activity do you think I'm going to be doing? And they don't say swimming. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with that person? Right. That is not what the experiment what was. What was the experiment? I, I got excited because I've it was, you I said, felt you like said, I was... You said, you said, I'm going water. If I said, I'm going water... Do people know what? Then you go, I'm, I'm getting in the water for what activity do you think I'm going to be doing in the water? And then Jamie says swimming. Yeah, but look. Yeah, of course he fucking does. By the way, big shout out to Jamie Redknapp. We love you. We Jay. love you, Jay. Thank you for being um, a part of the experiment. Um, I think you've yeah. done no bad work here. I think we're well, No, no, no. I'm not accusing him. Don't start doing that. I'm not accusing Jamie of doing any bad work. Jamie did what he was supposed to do. I'm talking about, I'm purely talking about you. Right. Right. I'm talking about the wolf. Don't start bringing the lion into this. The lion? Right. I'd say Freddie Flintoff's going to be the lion. Jamie, I think we all oh, know yeah. Jamie's the weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Jay. Yeah, boy. You know what I did today? Just on a side what? note of what I did today. Yeah. Um, I thought about a conversation about a Chinese takeaway the other day, and I was like so disgusted in myself. Why? that I, I've, I've started back on a grueling training regime with Stan the man, my guy Stan, big love, big love Stan. Uh, so I've done, I've done my before pictures today. Have you ever done those before and after pictures? Uh, no, I haven't because I know what the after... Well, actually, I did do once. <laughs> um, this is what I love about you. You're like, oh, no, what? I'm going to take the walk the higher path and actually, oh, I'm going to be the cock of the north. And then you're like, you've done the fucking thing. No, the reason you're I did so it... You're so easy to be sleazy. No, the reason I did it is because um, the, I was do, I did this column for the Guardian, and one of the things they were looking at is they they wanted to look at like fitness journeys, and so I took a set, they did a set of photos with me at the beginning of the year, and the idea was that at the end of the year we take some after photos, all from encouragement of me. I was talk, I sounded exactly like you just did there, you know, sort of I'm I'm getting into it, blah blah blah, and um, I didn't lose any weight. So basically, there was then a feature in the Guardian of me with some before and after photos that looked identical. Man, I think you're doing a dis- twelve months. Disservice yourself because I think you have you've lost a you've lost a decent amount of weight. I think I was looking at you at like kind of- you, when we were filming like uh, King Gary. I was going to say Judge Romesh then for some reason, um, but yeah, if I take it back to Judge Romesh and now I think about yeah. King Gary, I look at you've definitely lost a lot of timber. I think quite a lot, a substantial lot. About that's very kind of you to say. Um, how how far down this? Uh, how how Today's committed the first are you? Day. To this, how committed? Okay. Massively. I, I just want to look at myself and not like I actually got into pretty good shape in the last end of the last sort of lockdown. I was like, oh wow, I feel really yeah, good. Yeah, because there's it. a photo there's a photo going around with you and you just in your pants, right? That you yeah, yeah. ripped in. Yeah, which I felt very proud of. The best I've ever looked. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of photos of me, and I've just done a whole fucking series of me with quite a pronounced stomach hanging over some fucking white jeans. So uh, my ego is like, look, I realise that's funny, but also I also realise that heart disease is a massive problem and uh, uh, I can't be eating those Chinese takeaways. So, yeah, me and Stan are on a journey. So, you know, what are you doing about your diet then? I'm hitting it up today. I first had a diet, just hit out some whole grain rice, some chicken and some broccoli. Yeah. And then are you having cheat days? Yeah, I'll have cheat, but not for the first month. Okay. Should we do this? I would like to do this, but inspired by you, Tom. Mate, it would be incredible if you join me on the journey. I'm joining you on the journey, bro. Wow. 
I mean, this is incredible. What, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? Two months? So, because I'm away at the moment, so it's going to be a little bit difficult for me to start now. But I'm going to try and stay on my diet. I'm going to try and not snack too badly right, while yeah. I'm away. But let's say this. When I'm back, I'm going to start. Let's give us, from the, from the moment I'm back, yeah. so you can have this next few days as like a little bit of a sort of a head start on it. Let's, ha- let's have two months. We both do before pictures. Yeah. And we both do after pictures. You've got it tough, though, because I will say, and you're the, like, for you at the moment, filming is a fucking time. Like, I've just got off a seven-week shoot. You've been around for a lot yeah. of it. I never have, like, that amount of treats, sweets, and stuff around me. Oh, mate. It's mad. For my wife's birthday the other day, I got, like, this massive, like, fruit fucking brunch thing delivered. It was beautiful. Mm. Just sitting eating fresh fruit, I was like, this is just what life is. This is what I should be doing. And it, I've had fry-ups nearly every day for seven weeks. <laughs> A healthy option for me over the last seven weeks was having a McDonald's breakfast. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's portion size, isn't it? Because, you know, what I do is I get a fresh fruit platter and then I go, oh, this is what I should be doing all the time. I eat all this fresh fruit. And then I look at the packet after and it says serve six. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a journey and a half now. So we can yeah. share. And by the way, can I, can I just can I just say this isn't. This isn't a thing where we go, you have to lose weight, you have to do... I'm not, we're not saying that. All it is is Tom and I, we want to feel comfortable in ourselves and currently we don't, right? And, and that is... There's a lot of reasons for that, but we're going to try... Also, and, you know, we're going to try and do something about it. If I'm going to be quite c- candid about it, like, I genuinely said to Catherine, I was like, my mental health has suffered. Like, I've not done any training enough for literally three, three four weeks, eating like mm. shit, taking my foot off the gas with a number of things of like fucking my diet and my just you know, sense of like being healthy. And now I'm like, I feel the effects of that. And actually when I was training, I felt so positive about everything. So that's, that's a massive part of this as well. But, I, and also yeah. it's exciting to do it with you. I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how that's going to end up. Yeah. Like maybe uh, do a live too. workout together. Let's do a live workout together. Uh, no, actually, do you know what? I've, I immediately changed my mind on that. Why well, would you not do a live workout? I just, are we going to become those guys? Yeah, maybe. You know, like, yeah. there's no coming back from being those guys. You know, when you start, yeah, I yeah. don't know, man. It just it feels so far removed from what we are. You know, yeah. like you know, people are coming into this, and you know the the podcast. What was the Wolf and Our podcast? It's all right. They started. They initially started talking about like takeaways and like how they wipe their asses, <laughs> and now it's moved on to um, they had uh, three grams too much protein the last week. That, the thing is, I can't a forty-five I can't, minute workout. I can't calorie count like that. I, I'm going to go in. Like, I'm just going to eat like stuff that's healthy, but portion sizes. I'm gonna wolf down what I want. <laughs> wolf down. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, but the the other thing is you got to remember is like whatever changes you got to make, you got you got to basically make changes that you could envisage making for life. Otherwise, it's sort of pointless, right? Yeah. You know I mean, like, but also, like, let me say this: it's a fucking slog to get rid of a stomach. Like, yes. my God, it's stubborn old fat, that isn't it? The stomach mm. it ain't going nowhere. And also, I don't want to sort of, I, I don't want to sort of get myself out of uh, out of results day, but. Asian Asian men really do love a fucking overhang belly. I mean, it, it is genetically, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to reinforce stereotypes, but Asian men of my age love a big belly. There's something about our genetic makeup that means that, like a camel, uh, no, we store I mean, a lot up. in that kind of midriff area. I, I come from a background of people who spend ninety percent of their life in fucking weatherspoons. Most people I know are fucking of a gut. A gut was seen as a fucking like. This is the difference of life now. When I was growing up, no one had six packs. No one had that fucking. Yeah, you know, it was a good. It was a sign of honor if you had a beer gut. It's like meant that you were fucking living that building life properly. 
And now, yeah, but also the other thing, the that's the other thing about six packs, right? I just and no disrespect to anyone who's got a six pack. You've worked at it. Your genetics have been favourable. Whatever, right? You've got yourself a six pack. It used to be one in what. Yeah. 500 people would have a set of fully defined abdominals like movie stars and people like that. Now, some f- the fucking bloke two doors down from me has got my, a six pack. My postman has got a six pack. Yeah, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I mean, he's probably actually one of the fittest people locally because obviously he walks everywhere, but yeah, it's right, uh, yeah. It, feels like, it feels like you're a little bit too into your postman. But Yeah, right. but also he probably listens to this. So. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's walking around loads and I know he's a fan. I know he likes your stuff, so. You might listen to this. So shout out. Thank yeah. you for your deliveries. Do you know his name? No, no. no. no I would just watch you? him from afar with his top off on a hot summer's day. Sure, sure. Does he take his top off? Yeah, he has been known to. Of course he does. That's what happens when you've got a six pack. Of course. Yeah, because you and you and me, it's 50-50 whether we're going to take off our tops to go fucking swimming. Your postman, <laughs> the, the, temperature goes into double digits, the fucking guy's topless. I've got, to the waist. I've got very embarrassing, sad pictures of me when I went on holiday when I was about 18, 19, and I'm in the sea in a polo shirt. So. Oh, mate, I've got, I've got that. Also, the, you know the occasions where you wear a T-shirt because you feel self-conscious, and it's that material that gets wet and then just clings to you yeah. so much that you basically come out, and if anything, you've fucking drawn an outline around the fucking gelatinous bulge of your body. I've got that. I've, I've got fucking pictures. highlighted it. I'm on a group of mates of mine that I grew up with, and... Uh, one of my mates, this guy, John Iger, who's like incredible. He like played for, played for football. For, I think he was at Millwall. Then he ended up like, he's a sports therapist now up in Huddersfield. So, but he's like ripped to hell. And like, all these guys, Bart, they're all like, all the pictures, they're all like ripped to shit. They all look amazing. They look like fucking footballers. And then there's me. Uh, and I look like, you know who I look like in it? I look like the beast off the fucking, uh, the chase. <laughs> I look so fucking... I look yeah. like... I've got his haircut. I was busting a haircut yeah. in 1998. Arm around your cousin. <laughs> um, okay. Kissing cousins. <laughs> Should we get into some emails, bro? Yeah, yeah. Um, hit this one, I think you're about to lose your mind over this one. Very short, but very punchy. You well, ready? Okay, cool. Hi, Rom and Tom. Listening to you guys discuss your previous careers and how you suffer with imposter syndrome made me take a leap into an area that I didn't feel good enough for but really wanted. Turns out I am good enough as I was offered the job the next day. Thank you, chaps. Your positive chat has made me go for it and I'm now going to be financially better off in a job that I really want to do. You are both beautiful souls and thank you for your wisdom. Cheers, Simon. Simon has gone and done him and he's owned him. Wow, Si. I feel like genuinely like a proud father to Simon. It's amazing. Feels good, right? Uh, mate, that is, do you know what? That is, that's up there for me with one of the best feelings of my life. Just knowing that I love the thought that someone's listening. Is this what you look, is this what you look like when you're having one of the best feelings of your life? <laughs> no, this is. <laughs> oh God, poor Catherine. <laughs> Listen, wow, man. Just the thought of Simon's, did he send a picture of himself? No, oh, no, he didn't. I just like the thought that he's just so happy all the time now. Congratulations, mate. Congratulations. Simon, there's no advice to give apart from, yo, spread the love, spread the word, keep on doing you. You're a G, brother. (laughs) Thanks for undermining what could have been quite a nice moment there. Okay, next up. This is another Simon. Wow, two Simons Uh, in a show. First time we've ever done that. Two Simons in one show. Yeah, I mean, barely a fact, I would say. We could call this episode the bonus show, Two Simons. 
Yeah, we could do if we were wankers. Uh, so, <laughs> so this is actually the Simon that asked us about uh, what to do for his uh, his his wife's birthday. Wow, he's got back to us. Yeah, he's got back to us, um, mm. and I'm absolutely flabbergasted to report that he's actually taken your idea. What the balloons? Yes. <laughs> My guy. My guy. <laughs> uh, well, this, is, this was like Christmas. Like, this is, I know. I, I, I know. I'll tell you what, Simons are really fucking good people, aren't right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're thinking no. of a bad Simon. That's what I... I'm not thinking I, of a bad Simon. You're trying to like drop in Simon Cowell or something. No. No, I'm not. But, but don't, you know, I've got nothing against Simon Cowell, apart from... You know, the obvious. You know, Simon um, Cow has, so, just quickly as a fact, you know Simon Cow has a bath before every big show he does? How soon before? Just before he goes on stage, he has a like, nice warm hot bubble bath. Why would you do that? Because like, wouldn't know. that really relax you? No. Yeah, but also you'd be all sweaty. I've never got out of a bath and not fucking been sw- glazed in sweat. Yeah. That's a weird flex, but, you know, fair enough. He's doing something right, isn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I might be in a pound note behind him. Mm. Uh, okay. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for the advice and reading out on the podcast. So an update. A hundred balloons ordered, but no glitter, as I'm, I don't want to have to clear it up. Thinking of telling her to pop the balloons until she finds her present and accidentally forgetting to put it in a balloon. Too far? And then he said, uh, I'd love you if you could do a FaceTime. You remember we, you promised, yeah, yeah. again, one of these things now that we're not going to deliver on and he's going to, it's actually going to leave quite a sour taste at the end of all. No, 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 we can still do and a FaceTime. When's her birthday? Uh, it's the 20th of April. Wow. A week before mine, Simon. Okay, that's another thing, Simon, for you to not care about. Well, no, no, just um, think, yeah, yeah. 20th of April, lock us in. What? Let us know time. You know when you're doing stuff. He has given. I mean, I I'm not gonna, he has given us a time and stuff, what so time? we can actually do this. Why do we? Why do we need to go into the logistics of in here? All right, fair enough. Yeah, just make sure you're on this, okay? I didn't promise this, but I will be on it now because I'm committed. Because otherwise, it make me look like an absolute prick. <laughs> but I think it's going to be such a joyous thing. Imagine Simon's yeah. face. Right, this is Simon's face. The lever of Simon's face is around about a four or five of excitement. But the surprise okay. for his gorgeous lady, when we turn up and go, yo, happy birthday. I hope you enjoyed the burnt balloons. For she, she's a jolly good fellow. For she's, yeah. Well, happy birthday. Okay. Whatever song you want well, to do. Well, hopefully we can sort that out for you, Simon. Uh, we'll be in touch. It'd be funny if you did a filter on your face. Oh, hello, it's Ramesh the cat. <laughs> wishing you a happy, happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is quite a serious one, but like... We haven't done a serious one give... for a while. Yeah, all right, so let's do it, okay. This is from... Oh, we'd like to remain anonymous. Uh, hi, Rom and Tom. Uh, my brother has a girlfriend who I'm really close with, along with the rest of her family. I consider them all close friends. I sometimes drink with them as I enjoy their company, not during COVID restrictions. I also drink in general quite a bit. However, I've never really liked how I am when I'm drunk, only how it makes me feel. I know it's something I need to work on. So recently, I've been wanting to give it up at least for a while because I want to be healthier and also because of my silly behaviour while inebriated. With COVID restrictions lifting a little, they decided to invite me and another friend to their home as no one was working that day. I explained that I'd rather not come as I knew they'd be drinking involved and I didn't want to partake and I'd make it up to them some other time. I got a few messages and a couple of phone calls pleading me to come. However, I still didn't intend to. The night of their drink, I decided to stop by late because I read a message from my brother's girlfriend's sister, who's my age, which she explained in a sweet way that it wouldn't be the same without you. I was also a little concerned about my brother getting home, so I decided to go. I turned up, and from the get-go, the pressure was on from the sister and the mother for me to drink. 
and I still don't want to be involved. Eventually I gave in and had quite a bit. I know that me drinking is my responsibility, my fault. However, I can't help feeling a little bit betrayed because of the pressure that night. What do you think I should do? Avoid and try and work the rest out myself or maybe confront. Uh, keep up the good work. Your po- podcast can be the highlight of my day. I like can be because sometimes the episodes aren't great. Yeah, sometimes okay, so they're absolute fucking tortured dog shit. Yeah, it's a heavy one. Uh, and uh, But actually one that... Um, Situation I I've found myself in, and also a really close mate of mine has been a sort of been a part to party to as well. Tom, I don't know if you're aware how sound works, but but that's not my phone. Things, it's not my phone. Genuinely, it's not my phone. It's just, well, it's not it's coming from phone. here. Okay, it's three yeah, messages. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay, great. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> um, look, um, I've I've been in this position uh, a few years back. Uh, so a lot of my life, I like yourself uh i was a boozer uh, i like drinking a lot i sort of it was a very much a part of my sort of culture uh from sort of leaving school really was sort of uh that that pub life and especially sort of like probably four or five times a week at least sort of after work in the pub for till the pub closed um and then uh a couple of years ago i was sort of quite ill and sort of went to the doctor. It turned out I had quite what was like liver enzymes were very, very high, dangerously high actually for a person my age. So the doctor was like, "You need to, you need to give this, you know, you need to give give up drinking for quite a long time." So I sort of, I found that quite difficult at first, and because and yeah, I've always that's one one of the things I found hard about COVID to an extent. But you know, not socialising. I've always been a very social person. You know, whether that's gigging, whether that's going out with friends. So I sort of was really worried about what would happen with my friendship group, what would happen about the people I was close to, how would I w- would sort of cope. Uh, and actually it was my wife was very sort of strict with the fact that like, you've been told that this is all, this is going to be lethal effects on your, you know, your sort of liver, you know, your liver goes, everything goes type thing. So I sort of had to, I had a chat in the end with sort of two or three of my really close friends and was like, look, this is a situation I'm in. I can't drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm probably going to sort of swerve quite a lot of these sort of social things. And that is, that's just primarily for my health. And yeah, I, and from that moment, really, I sort of, that, that's meant I've cut down my drinking. I still have a beer. I still go out and have a laugh, but I don't, I don't, I don't do it as much. And like, even when we were filming, Rob, quite a few times, people would have drinks. I, I can, I'm quite happy to sit there over water. That's, I, I've got to a place now where I, I know I'm good enough company, sober, drunk, whatever, but I know that I, I don't, don't ever feel that I can be bullied into having a drink if I don't want to have a drink. And I think that the only way of doing that is what I'm trying to get to is being honest and upfront, and and actually I think I mean that that comes to all mental health situations is actually encouraging yourself to be open to these people and say look this is this is why I'm not doing it this is why I feel that it doesn't bring out the best part of who I am as a human being and I think people I think people if they truly care about you which these people seem to do they will listen and I think uh, I mean you seem like a good guy on the basis that people want you there you you're probably you know like most of us you're probably fearing that you're a worse drunk than you are because if you were that bad, people wouldn't be dying for you to be around. But if it's something that's in your head, I think speak to people and, and, and just be open about it, my friend. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Right, go on, Rob. This is actually something that I've struggled with as well, to be honest with you, because I basically, about uh, two years ago, uh, I, I've always been, when I'm drunk, I become a bit sort of, I don't like my behaviour when I'm drunk. I don't like the feeling of being out of control. And so actually... As as time's gone on, I've actually felt I, I don't I don't like what I'm like when I'm drunk, and uh, it all came to a head a couple of years ago when I, I was on a night out and I got really smashed, and I just felt like my behaviour was 
was a bit over the top. Do you know what I mean? Nothing like major, but you know when you wake up, you know that the fear was real and the fear was, so, you know that fear of like, fuck, what was I like last night, man? Do you know what I mean? And I was around people that weren't really close friends, you know, mates and, and people I work with and you sort of think, fuck, I've made a real dick of myself there. So I actually decided to stop drinking completely and, um, and I didn't know how long I was going to do it for, but to my mind at that time, I thought maybe I'll never drink again is the truth of it. And uh, it was really difficult, you know, because I, I, it wasn't, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but I just decided I didn't want to drink. And I totally relate to your, um, your sentiments about when you turn up, the pressure's on. There's something about British culture that when you say you're, you're not drinking, Unless you've got a story about how you drinking once led to you, led to you killing someone, they just, people don't care. You know, they just think, you know, come on, get on it. I, I, I remember going out on a night out with a load of mates and they were all drinking and I wasn't. And, they, and one of them honestly said the words, what's the, fuck, what's the fucking point in going out of you then? What's the point in you coming out? Because I wasn't drinking. There's, there is that pressure. But, so what happened in the end is I ended up giving up for about, six months, eight months. And then I, at that time I thought, you know what? I feel ready to sort of, like Tom said, drink in moderation. And to be honest with you, I do get, I do get really drunk sometimes on, on very small occasions, very infrequently. But when I do, it's always with people that I really, that I, that are really close friends of mine. Do you know what I mean? Because I just, I just feel more comfortable. What I would say to you is you have to go through a period of telling people you don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. I, I, I'd like to moderate my drinking. You have to do that a couple of times. And then after that, people just understand. That's what happened to me is that I would sort of go, I'm not, I don't want to drink. And I had to go through a barrage of kind of questions and piss taking. And then after that, people that, and you shouldn't have to go through that is the truth of it. But you know, sometimes that is the nature of our friends and it's not coming from a bad place. They want you to have a good time and they really closely correlate drinking with having a good time so that's where that's coming from it's not that they're being horrible they want you to engage in the night but once you've explained that to them a few times you'll find that it just kind of goes away a little bit so what i would say is you know it, it will be tough but if they know that if they keep putting pressure on you you will eventually drink then they also know that it works so what you're sort of basically doing is exacerbating the problem because even if you turn up saying, I don't want to drink, they sort of got an inkling that if they put the pressure on you, that you will do eventually. So, you know, I would say if you've made a decision not to drink that night as an experiment, you know, to just get yourself into the habit of it, stick to it. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and then do that a few times and get to a point where you feel sort of comfortable with it. It would be my advice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the other thing is not, um, feeling not ashamed, but not feeling like I'm not drinking. So I'm just going to be quite quietly sitting there. I think we can all look. Me and Rom, as part of our jobs, when you're gigging and you're doing stand-up, sometimes I don't ever drink before I go on stage or, or before I sort of do any sort of performance. So sometimes you can end up being surrounded by people who are smashed and you're sober. I think, but if you're with close friends and family, I think it's making sure that you still make sure you're a part of the evening and and so that you don't feel like you'd sort of, I don't know, like yeah, you, know, you hold back a bit just because you're not drinking. I think that's one thing I found is that actually, you know what, I'm, I was far happier at times not drinking and having a laugh and whatever. And don't get me wrong now, yeah, like Rob, I'm still, but I also think it's, you know, being surrounded by people you love and trust. Actually, quite a few people ask us to, I mean, this is almost a word, but to do a drunk episode of this. I know, I saw that as well, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but the other thing is, it's like, you know, like I think the point that Tom made is excellent, is we have this thing where we associate drinking with having a good time. And, 
you know, actually the truth is I've had, when I was like doing my sort of stint of not drinking at all, I had loads of great nights out where I wasn't, I wasn't drinking. And, and what was great about it is I don't want to start getting sort of uh, sanctimonious about it. What was great about it was I'd have a nice night. I'd go when I want. It never gets out of hand. And I knew that I was going to be all right the next morning for whatever I had on the next day. Do you know what I mean? Because you get to a stage, you think, I don't think I can afford to, to write off my next day or two days for this, man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we've got, particularly in British culture, we get ourselves into a situation where you think it isn't a night out unless you're on it. And that just simply isn't the case. Um, so, yeah, look, good luck with it, man. Um, it's hard. I mean, you're much younger than us. So it will actually be, you know, it, that kind of makes it more difficult because young people are sort of under more pressure. So uh, so good luck with it, man. Let us know how it gets on. Good luck, my G. Go forward with force. You know, do you? Go forward with force. Yeah. You, sound you. Like a, you sound like a wonderful bloke. You sound like a really, really nice guy. Well, way to um, be sarcastic at the end. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm yeah, telling I, you. I, I know what you're doing. Nice I know what you're doing. I'm not doing anything. You, the way, yeah. Why are you being so si- What? Because that's my little bit where I go, you sound like a dreamboat. Oh, did I say he sounds like a dreamboat? You said so he sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, you yeah, does sound wonderful. You sound okay. delicious. Thank you very much for getting in touch. Good luck. Go I mean, bearing in mind, you, you you have not less than two weeks ago said that about someone before I'd read the fucking email. <laughs> um. Before uh, before I get into this, uh, have you done it? What's your experience with Edinburgh? Actually, let me just do the email. Uh, hi, guys. Big fan of the show. Uh, I'm Edinburgh born and bred. Well, having the fringe on your doorstep is great if you have the time to take in shows. It can also be a royal pain in the ass if you actually have to go about living and working in the city centre due to how busy and often impossible it is to go 10 feet without being hassled to take in a show. Quite often, the comics I've seen seem stressed out of their minds and almost manic when I want to get you along to their show. So my question is, what is your own take on the festival? Is it actually enjoyable as a performer, or do you spend too much time worrying about how the shows are perceived? Also, where does it rank in terms of the big comedy events? Thank you, Paul. Tom, hey, Paul. over to you. Hey, Paul, my man. Um, great email. Very good email. If I'm honest with you, I found one of the worst things about the festival is uh, it's the impl- implications it has on people who live in that city. I found like it really cringy having to fly people who are clearly not looking to go to a show. I found that really hard. And, and and I mean, I don't know about you, I only ever did the free fringe. So I only ever did it where I had to go and fly myself. I think the comedians actually sort of, there's a there's an air of the like, comedians that go up there where I think they're probably a little, there's a, yeah, they're, they're just people handing out flyers. I found the spectacular sort of, you know, some of the plays and some of the bigger shows that are sort of like these, you know, the street theatre and all that, I found just absolutely bonkers. I was like, this is crazy. Like, um, if I'm honest, how did I find it? I I love Edinburgh as a city. I've been there um, to watch football. I've been there. I have my stag do there. I think it's a fa- fantastic city for the fantastic people. What I think of the festival, I think the festival is a crock of shit that's um, a middle class. Uh, I think it's a very middle class vibe. I think... I did a thing talk about social mobility up there about two years ago and my view on Edinburgh was that was probably the first time that I felt really, really sort of really working class and quite not poor, but I felt like, wow, this my background. I, I think it's changed slightly now, comedy. I think me and Romish, there was a time, I don't know how you felt, Rom, but I think when we were getting into it, there was people like Rom and Beckett and Catherine Ryan, people that sort of felt like they probably came from similar sort of backgrounds to myself, but there's a lot of, that middle class vibe that 
I didn't necessarily feel a part of. And I sort of, I felt like very much like an outsider when I was there, when, when the few times that I went up there. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I found it to be quite clicky. Yeah, I haven't really got many good things to say about it as a festival. Edinburgh's the city, brilliant. Um, and also I think the pressure that gets put on, I think that's that. there's less of that. I think like people like Mo Gilligan and people who have, now sort of made a base for themselves without going up there and Romesh as well do you know what I mean I think like you know Romesh had sort of built a career you know on the on the circuit Edinburgh wasn't the thing that made you was it no I don't think so I mean listen I, got, I went up there and got nominated you no know, no you got I'm nominated for a don't. brilliant show but what I mean I'm by fu- that because I'm a fucking because I'm a fucking donch yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean no it'd be interesting because yeah that for me I've, I've got you know like I haven't got great, great memories of Edinburgh I do, if I'm honest the, the first year I think I went I stayed in Leaf before Leaf got um, like really sort of gentrified, and it, it was, I loved it because I ended up just like hanging around with people from Leaf, and ended up just getting on a piss with them, and you know, coming off the back of talking about alcoholism, uh, that, that just got leathered with a load of beer. That's where I sort of yeah, but you know, but um, I haven't really got many good things to say about it as a festival. I've got some pretty horrible. Uh, I, I, I do think like it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one for me because like you know like like I just. I, I, I was obviously being faux uh, arrogant there, but you know, I, I went up to I went up to the festival and I cut my teeth. You know, you do you go. It's a good opportunity to do loads of gigs there and you do your shows there. And getting nominated does get you some attention and stuff like that. But I did. It's a weird thing where I really do feel like an outsider going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And I don't know if there are people that don't feel like that, but there are a number of reasons why I feel like an outsider. Uh, one of them is uh, the fact that. I I am perceived as a mainstream comedian, and uh, you know I remember like when I went up one year, some like there was some article, Guardian article about how comics like me are just going up to make money, and you know they're not really there to push the art form forward or whatever snooty thing there was. The other reason is that, like Tom says, it's very very sort of upper middle class and quite snooty, and you can feel like if you're not you're not doing that kind of thing you're never really going to do well there. And the other thing is it's very white, you know, and that that's something they've they've tried to to tackle more recently. But like it, it there are there are TV people go there and it and it can be good and it and you know people came to see me in Edinburgh and and you do get benefits from it. But I don't know, man. There, there, there are lots of acts that feel like they're going there and they're sort of going there as outside and I don't know if everyone feels like that, but I know that there are people that love Edinburgh and I just don't. And part of it is that Part of it is, to be honest with you, is the fact that I, when, I, when I first went to Edinburgh, I thought it was going to be a thing where I take up an hour, I practice, 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 and it makes me better as a comedian and it's great. But what actually happened was you're under so much scrutiny, you're so worried about getting fucking absolutely slagged off for, for your show, like early doors when, you, like, when you're trying to develop it, that you actually just start freaking out. And like, so I do feel for comics who put so much into Edinburgh and suddenly you turn up there, you've worked on a show for the whole year and it turns out your show's not going to be the one, one of the ones that's going to be talked about or raved about that year. And you just sort of think, what am I getting out of this? Do you know what I mean? Like most people, most performers you see in Edinburgh are losing money, hand over fist to be there and perform. So, you know, I always feel for people that go there because they're doing it because they love it and they're just trying to make their way in it. But, you know, performers in the main, and and even the ones that are doing really well are breaking even. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's only a very small percentage of them that are actually making money. So 
you know, there, there, I do think, look, Edinburgh Festival has made a lot of people and there's great stories from the festival. I also think um, there's things wrong with it that need sorting out. When you, were you, you, know you full-time when you first went out as a comedian? Were you were you you're full-time comedian? Were you still teaching? So, no, I, I went up doing the, the mixed bill shows when I was still teaching. And then... I suppose the it always worked perfect I, over teaching, though, because you that's your summer holidays, right? Well, you say that, mate, but um, I basically lied to my school to to do the whole month and said that I couldn't be there at A-level results day. And then I went back to the school uh, in September and they've got a whole, they had a whole folder of like reviews and stuff wow. from when I was in Edinburgh and I basically got fucking immediately demoted. I... So, you know, in some ways, in some ways it works well if you're honest with the people that you're working for and you're, you're up front and you actually you behave like an adult. If you're a pathetic, spineless little piece of shit like mate, me. I, do you know, almost uh, identical, the same thing. Right, so well, what happened? first year, I was still scaffolding. I'm like, yeah. everyone told me, you have to go to Edinburgh, you have to go to Edinburgh. And at the time, I had like an improv character. So was, like, I was just doing different characters in, like with audience members and whatever. Like, and I didn't have an agent at the time. So I was like, well, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to do this thing with a guy called Brian Lacey, who's um, great. And he sort of compared the thing. Lovely with his guy. Yeah, top yeah, guy, yeah. amazing guy, lovely man. Um, he got like fucking serious E. coli while we were up there. Like he nearly died. Oh mate, I've uh, that was fucking. I've he, heard oh, that. So we were living from... together in Leaf, and he got like that was the most out of like no one talked to us. We literally would go into bars and whatever, and people would go, "We'll go to the library bar," and me and Brian would be drinking in a Weatherspoons. Um, and uh, he's a great comic actually, and, and and now he's a brilliant sports sort of journalist and sports presenter. He's a great guy. So we did this show, and we were up together, and, and we were doing that, and. Uh, I basically turned around to my the scaffolders that I work with and was like, I'm going to Edinburgh for a month. And they were like, What why? Like, what are you fucking doing? And I was like, da, da, da. look, here's what we could do is like so when you're scaffold at the time you're a part of like a four man gang. Yeah. And I was like, if you guys do like a, if you can work as a three man gang, I'll give you like half of my wages for the month. Do you know what I mean? And you just take those or like half of whatever whatever deal we came to. As long as I can get some of my wages, do you know what I mean, coming through. So they're like, cool, yeah, we'll blag it for you. Da, da, da. Um, and after the month, they turned around to me and said, we got so much more done without you being around. Um, it's actually easier for us to be a three-man gang and take all of your wages. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought, We've been so bad, much better without you fucking around and being stupid having to leave early for gigs or whatever it's just fucking financially a lot and that was almost like the time where i had to go i need to fucking go full-time doing stand-up now kind of thing i mean like, yeah i still fucked about and got a few jobs here and there but that was like what the fuck uh so um yeah but that was so brian went out and got i can't remember what he ate he ate some chicken from somewhere and he got like i've never seen anyone so ill and then he got like e coli within his joints and his he got like he was close to fuck. He lost his job. He fucking. He nearly died. The guy. He's fucking horrible situation. All for me. It took him out. It took him out of commission for quite a long time. Yeah, nearly like a year. And he was doing really well. He was yeah. a fucking really good stand-up man. He was like. Yeah, I remember. I did. I did big value with him. Yeah, he was yeah, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a really yeah. fucking good comic. But you know, man, good man, and he's doing great things with the UFC now. I think and, and yeah, uh, and Bellator. But yeah, man, yeah. So it's it's. I mean, it's a long answer, but um, shout out Edinburgh, the people of Edinburgh, because they are some of the best people you can have a good night out with and uh yeah and some of the sort of the earth as we say okay 
Here's a question. This is from uh, Helen Ma. Hi, Owl and Wolf. I've just finished inhaling my Friday treat, McDonald's breakfast, which I generally eat my, at my desk while I work from home for ease, but mostly I don't want others to see what's in my, in my bag. I order a hideous number of extra hash browns, plus what is often multiple wrap muffin flatbread combos. Same goes for lunch orders where, given sweet little joy I get elsewhere, I enjoy customising my orders. For example, uh, when, you, when they let you add extra cheese or pickles. Uh, getting to my point and my question, I was wondering a few, two things. She says a few things, but she only asked two questions. Uh, one, what are your go-to standard fast food orders? I can tell you a lot about people. For example, I get a lot of shit from friends when I order what they consider to be a pointless fillet of fish. Truth is, they're tasty and it makes me feel superior. Well, you need to listen to our last episode where we yeah. talk about seaspiracy. Yeah. Uh, two, customising food. Do you have a food hack that you love to deploy? See George Egg on Instagram for the kind of thing. I mean, you know George Egg does... George Egg is an where... absolute G, by the way. George Egg, I yeah, love George Egg. I love watching. So he does that. I watched a video of him recently where he took a, he got a Greg, I love this, by the way. He took a Greg's cheese and onion pasta. Right. In a jar of little jalapeno slices. And he just fucking loaded that little thing oh. with a little bit of hot pepper goodness. He, you know, um, he got in I, touch with me about my Watsits and uh, Tiny Tomato Soup and was like, he, he was just like, he was in, he was like, mate, I love it. Do you want to do a video? And I was like, yeah, I love the, I've got to do the video. He's, he's an absolute G, George Egg. Okay, so guys, if you re- if you want to see Tom commit and do that video where he adds some watsits to some soup, you know what to do. Message in wolfowpod at gmail dot com. Yeah. yeah, sweet sweet uh, George Egg. Okay, uh, I regularly add fresh. This is not me. This is the uh, this is Helen. I regularly add fresh garlic and a touch of lemon juice or vinegar to instant noodles for a bigger flavour. Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, class, classy. Okay, so que- so we've sort of talked about standard fast food orders a little bit, but do you do any food hacks? But firstly, look, I'm going to answer the first question. My McDonald's order is a staple. I love McDonald's. I'm not even going to quabble with that or hide behind any sea of phantom deceit. I love McDonald's. Um, mm. You can quote me on that. I will go for Helen. I can't imagine the context in which I'd have to quote you, but go on. <laughs> I will go for. If they're on the menu, I'll go for a grande Big Mac. You know, the big old Big Mac. Um, I'll get that as a large meal with fries and obviously the Coca-Cola. I don't go Coke Zero and I don't go Dark Coke. Uh, I'm not one of those Gs. I don't hustle that vibe. I will then get fucked. I'm going to tell you this before you carry on. Coke Zero, you can barely tell the difference in Coke Zero and Coke. Yeah, I know, but I just feel like a bit of a wanker when you hear my order going, can I get a Coke Zero? Mm, I know, I realise that. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> then I get five chicken strippers with the sweet uh, chilli sweet sauce. Yeah. Um, I get a McFlurry. And an apple yeah. pie to dip into it. Um, and sometimes I will have a double cheeseburger to eat on the way from the, the drive-through bit to the parking space. And that is my order. Uh, and yes, and sometimes so, I do have, if you know, back in the day when you could go to the little touchscreen things, I would fuck about with that shit for hours. It was like playing on a computer game. I would like, literally, I'd be, I remember going with my mate James uh, and my Mark McQueen. And we were on uh, some services and they were both like, you know, and I was like, I need some time on this fucking thing. I need some time on the touchscreen because I'm going to fucking hustle this vibe. I'm going to add shit. I'm going to take some stuff away. Dude, I hate lettuce and I hate, tell you what, Burger King can go fuck themselves for a number of reasons. Burger King pulled my pants down. I was the voice of Burger King um, and they got rid of me because I sounded too can you do me? Can you do me a little sample of what you used to do? Give us a line. The new Chicken Royale. Right. All new chicken royale. Like that. 
right? And look, that we, sounds. I, I can. I can listen to you do that shit. Like right. That so this is, and I loved Burger King at the time, right? And I was like, look, look I. This is probably like, this is what number one. I sat down with them, some of the heads of Burger King UK, and I was like, I want to fucking put Burger King where it should be, at top of the fucking tree. I will not eat another fucking burger for another place. <laughs> I fucking made all these promises that I didn't have to make. Did you say did you say these words? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I was like, look, I'm invested okay. in this. You're not just getting my voice, you're getting my fucking you you're getting my fucking my faith and my earnesty loyalty. for yeah, my lo- loyalty was a word I was looking for. For um yeah. <laughs> for uh, for burgers. Yeah. Why, why don't you use a word why don't you use a word that exists instead of making one up for a change? Right. <laughs> right. And they were sort of I think even blown away and a bit freaked out by this. Mm. And then in the booths, I did like the chicken royale, whatever. And it was like, go big, let's fucking battle with it. Da, da, da. And I lost, I did one bout of fucking adverts and I was tweeting a lot about Burger King and I was doing pics of me at Burger King and sort of, you know, and then they just completely just said I sounded too eager and too keen about the burgers. And uh, yeah, they, they got rid of me. So this explains, this explains a hell of a lot, by the way. This explains a hell of a lot. Really? Yeah, because one of the running themes since we've been beginning to do this podcast is what feels like a completely disproportionate rage towards anybody that does an advert that you feel like doesn't use the product. And I was wondering, I don't know why Tom gets so ridiculously angry about this. And now it all makes sense. You basically got bitch slapped by Burger King. Because you committed to them 100%. Yeah. And now... Every time you watch an advert and you see a celeb doing it, you just sit there and go, I bet he doesn't fucking use it. But this is I the bet thing. he doesn't I even commit to I, it like I committed I committed to. my loyalty and my fucking heart and my brain. And I said, listen, you've got me now. I won't have a five, guys. I'll fucking never have an honest burger. You give me that fucking vibe, I'm fucking in, man. I'm invested. And they gave me one advert and then think, no, no, you too. And you know what then? And then the, no offense to the person who does it now. It's like the new Chicken Royale. It's a hell of a burger. It's that really cool. I, I'm like, I want an advert to be saying, this is the best fucking burger you're going to ever have. Don't be cool about yeah, have burgers. You about appro- have you thought about approaching McDonald's? Uh, yeah, no, I'm actually, I've been messaging him quite a lot on Instagram. And that's why I'm saying McDonald's. God. Fucking, I love McDonald's. I love the earnesty of McDonald's and the decency behind them. Okay. So that is my order. Um, and I enjoy every every mouthful and every morsel. At the moment, I'm a fucking wild gun. I'm a free gun. I can go to five guys. I can go to anywhere. Until someone fucking turns around and says, right, we want you. I'm very much a food, fast food slut. You'll find me in a KFC on a Tuesday, a fucking McDonald's on a Wednesday, maybe a Burger King. That's not Burger King. Burger King's big problem, by the way, is the big tomatoes they put in the fucking burgers. A tomato has no place in a burger. This might be the longest answer to a question I've ever fucking heard. Um, I like tomato in burgers. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I need to... Um, I can't order a lot from McDonald's because in terms of the vegetarian vegan game, McDonald's are fucking behind almost everyone. Not for long. Um, I've heard rumours. I've heard rumours from an insider. Yeah, I, I've heard rumours too. And I'm, I'm sure that rumour involved them taking what they put into the veggie burger and turning it into a different shape and calling it a different thing. McDonald's, we know that the dippers are made out of the same shit as the fucking burger. Make something new, dickheads. Anyway... I've got to admit something now, because Lisa's now listening to the, the podcast, as we know. One day, when the children were very young, I, had, I was looking after them. Lisa was out somewhere. And I said to them, let's go to McDonald's. And they got so excited. Like, I couldn't believe how excited they were. They're losing their minds. 
And um, I took them along to McDonald's, let them order whatever they want. They tucked into it. Thank you so much, Dad. This is amazing. I said, it's all right. I said, Mum probably won't want you having McDonald's, so let's just keep this as a little treat to ourselves, right? They go, yeah, okay. About a month later, I was with Lisa and we were at some kid's birthday party. And one of the other parents said, do your boys eat a lot of fast food? And Lisa went, oh, actually, weirdly, they've never had it. And she went, what? And she said, oh, no, we've never taken them to Burger King or McDonald's or whatever. I just sort of thought they're a bit young for that yet, maybe when they're a bit older. And then it was that point that I realised that I had broken their non-McDonald's duck without Lisa knowing. And to this day, to this moment, in fact, I imagine, if Lisa's listening to this, she hasn't known that's the case. So can I just take this opportunity to say, Lisa, I took the boys to McDonald's. They really enjoyed it. Please, can you forgive have me? Have they had McDonald's you? since? Yeah, I mean, they have, we, we actually now it's a once a week treat for them. I like Did they still get as excited? They, mate, they lose their minds. I, the boys man, have. I, I, shall, shall I tell you who does get? Shall I tell you who does get most excited? Your favourite, Alex. Of course, he does. He, he's an absolute G. He, it, whenever it's McDonald's time, he's pretty much backflipping across the living room. Like, I, I'm just still so the same. Buzzing. I'm 41, and that's yeah. how I rock. This is why I think Alex is such a hero. Yeah, he's just he just knows, man. Got kindred spirit. His order. Bearing in mind he's a nine-year-old, so I know you're going to be slightly disappointed by the quantity of the food. But even for a nine-year-old, I think this is pretty impressive. Nine nuggets. Right, good. Large fries. Good boy. Milkshake. Good lad. Finished with Smarty McFlurry. <laughs> what you need to do, and if, if I could just take Alex under my wing, is I'm looking forward to the day where he adds a cheeseburger to that. That's going to be a very, <laughs> that's going to be a very proud day in the Ranganathan yeah, household. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right, I mean, guys. it was a simple email that, but I hope you've got a very long, sweet answer. It was nearly ten minutes long. The answer. It was, yeah. Uh, I think my contribution was about what a minute. <laughs> so, um, guys, Look, uh, do you know what? I think we should talk a bit more about food hacks. Uh, not now, but yeah, at I'm some point. Um, okay, guys, thank you so much for listening to the bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, and guys. You make this show what it is because we love you guys. God. Um, I know you're doing it ironically, but I still find it irritating. It's so weird. <laughs> I do it to irritate um, you. Please, can you email wolfalpod uh, at gmail.com to let us know what you think about the Jamie Redknapp fiasco. Yeah. Uh, and, and we also, will see so you. As, if Ramesh is wrong on this one, he will do a video of him jumping on a trampoline that lasts 15 minutes. Absolutely won't. <laughs> Absolutely won't. We know what we should do one day. I don't know when we do it. But one day we should do like a big one, like a massive bet, like a massive argument whenever we get into one. And I'll call this in my back pocket. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat a chicken nugget. What? (laughs) My guy. Well, well, yeah, but what would I have to do? That's massive. You'd have to fuck a chicken. It has to be... be... (laughs) Rednet vibes. It has to be equally like against our values. Yeah, okay. No, yeah, well, that's not too much. As long as I can pick the chicken, I'm okay. <laughs> My guy. Uh, all right. I'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Take care. Peace <laughs> out. <laughs> bye bye.